Breaking the Borderline Stigma. I'm Kristen Nicole. I'm a life coach for highly sensitive women and women with borderline personality disorder, helping you to create a protective emotional skin to learn to love all of you and to let your gorgeous light shine despite the darkness. And by the way, I'm also a highly sensitive person and a BPD conqueror myself. So in today's episode, I have several things that I wanted to go over. The first thing is I want to review what the nine symptoms of BPD are. And I also want to talk about quiet BPD and share that with you. And then I have an exciting announcement for you at the end um, to join my pod squad where you can win some awesome prizes. So I will talk about that at the end. And um, I think you're really, really gonna be excited for this. So let me go ahead and jump right in. First, if you're listening to this and you've been diagnosed with BPD, then you may already know the nine symptoms or criteria that go into If you're listening to this and you haven't been diagnosed, but you have a suspicion that maybe you haven't, then this is going to help you to understand. Now, as I've said before, and I will always remind you, I am not a mental health professional. I am not a therapist, okay? But I believe that knowledge is power. And as Maya Angelou used to say, when we know better, we can do better. So I want you to take this this information just for what it is. Please don't self-diagnose, but just take it for better understanding. And if you haven't been diagnosed and you feel like you may have BPD, then I want to encourage you to reach out to a mental health professional, a therapist, uh, a licensed clinical psychologist, Um, a psychologist or psychiatrist. I'm not sure of all the various uh, licenses and and, um, things like that, but reach out to a mental health professional so that way you can get started down that road. Now, if you are listening to this and maybe you don't believe you have BPD, but you are still a highly sensitive person, I think this will still be good information for you to have. And um, on that note, too, you know, maybe maybe you're not someone with BPD and you are more of a, an HSP, but you want information on the pod squad. So please stay on until the end so that I can share that with you. OK, so let's go ahead and get started. Like I said, why I want to share this is because. Just like my my Angelou used to say, when we know better, we do better. I firmly believe that the secret to healing is first understanding and then taking action and implementation. Action in terms of 
learning what it is you need to know to be able to forge that new path and then implementation in actually putting in those processes and those steps to make that new path a reality. And I think it's so important for me, it has been so important to understand why I do the things that I do. And so it has been invaluable. And that's why my BPD diagnosis actually came as a relief. And what I have come to discover is I think that I am more of a quiet BPD type of individual. And I'll get into what quiet BPD is after I go through the nine criteria. So like I mentioned, I think in episode one, um, in order to be diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, you have to meet five of the nine symptoms that are associated with BPD. Now, you could have just five, you could have six, seven, you could have a variety. The reason it's important to understand them is because I think BPD manifests and, and, and comes across differently in different individuals because there's so many different criteria. So you can have a combination or a mix of things. That does not mean that just because you have these symptoms, you can't change these symptoms. Okay. You can't change, um, the way that you react. It is stuff that I will get into throughout this podcast, but You can, I think it's very important to feel your emotions, but you don't have to let them control you. So you can feel your emotions, you can acknowledge your emotions, and then you can choose a different course. So this comes from the Very Well Mind, which is taken from the DSM-5 and the DSM-4, I believe. Um, I think the dsm is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for um, for like mental health conditions. It's what mental health professionals use to diagnose someone. And rather than read from that, because it can get a little bit, um, I don't want to say prescriptive, but it can, it can get a little <clears throat> convoluted. So I'm going to take it from the very well mind. I have cross-referenced this and is um, it is in line. It's the very wellmind.com where, where I'm pulling this from. So they say in there the hallmark BPD or borderline personality disorder is a pervasive pattern of instability in relationships, self image, and moves. Now that is essentially saying that. You know, you've had volatile relationships. Your self-image is not great. You likely struggle with self-worth issues, self-confidence, things of that nature. And you could have very abrupt mood swings. This all goes back to emotion management and emotion regulation. And as I will keep reminding you, Marsha Linehan, who developed dialectical behavioral therapy, 
which is a very well-known therapy that has been proven to be effective for people with BPD and other diagnoses. But she did develop it for specifically for BPD. She actually had BPD herself. She says, I believe she's the one who says this, that BPD happens when you are born with an emotional vulnerability and you grow up in an invalidating environment. Okay, so the emotional vulnerability is essentially not knowing how to regulate your emotions. And you grow up in an environment that doesn't teach you how to regulate your emotions, likely because you were probably told that you were too emotional, or you were told you were too sensitive, or you were told that essentially you were judged for reacting the way that you do. And let me be clear, I don't think that there is any one way to react. Just because someone doesn't have the emotional capacity or ability to understand your heightened emotions does not make your heightened emotions wrong. So, and it does not make them invalid. Okay, so to be diagnosed with BPD, you have to have at least five of the following symptoms. Number one is having anger problems. This includes difficulty in controlling anger, intense anger that may not fit a situation and or angry outbursts. I can tell you for me, this manifests a lot in road rage. I have never done anything about it where I'm like chasing someone down, but I will yell in the car a lot and I have become more aware of that. And I will be honest, when I'm driving by myself, I usually kind of let it take hold If I have my kids in the car, I try to keep it under wraps. I don't do the best job all the time, Um, but I at least try to control it a little more. Um, And I will be very quick to anger a lot as well. So that's definitely one that, that has resonated with me. The second symptom is a distorted and insecure concept of yourself that affects everything in your life from relationships to goals to moods and opinions. So that's that unstable self-image that is um, being insecure in who you are. The third is an irrational fear of being abandoned that causes powerful emotions and going to extremes to make sure that you aren't abandoned. So if you think about a relationship that you've been in with a significant other, have you been afraid of them leaving? Has this caused extreme fights has this, I can think about a time in my life where that did happen. I said something. My boyfriend at the time was getting ready to, was like, it just set him off. He was going to leave. And he's like, okay, that's it. And I flipped out. And I just remember screaming, I'm sorry. um, Because I was so scared for him to leave. Now, he's not the the man that I married. So in hindsight, maybe it would have been best if we had ended the relationship then. Because in the long run, we didn't end up getting married. But we didn't. And I was afraid to be alone. I was afraid for him to leave me. And so I had this very strong reaction to that. So think about that if if that's something that's been a pattern for you. Um, The fourth one is a pattern of turbulent and unstable relationships with friends and family. I think that one kind of speaks for itself. Um... And to be honest, I think a lot of these speak for themselves, but I'm just trying to give a little bit of context and and better understanding, um, particularly how it's affected my life. I won't, you know, provide examples for everything, but just to kind of get you thinking 
about it. Then there is, um, let's see, what am I on? Five, six, feeling of constantly being bored and or empty. The next one is impulsive choices and behaviors that may result in risky behavior, such as gambling, shopping sprees. Do you overspend excessively? Spend? Do you engage in unprotected sex with multiple partners? Those are all examples. Then paranoid thoughts or dissociative feelings. As if you are not part of your own life or your out of your body that and this can emerge under stress. Have you ever had that out of body experience? Um, have you ever felt like you were just looking at yourself or looking down on yourself, watching yourself do things and you didn't know why sort of thing? Um, powerful, changeable emotions and moods that may last from a few hours to a few days is number eight and then number nine, and this can be triggering and I hope that it doesn't trigger you, but feel free to, you know, kind of pass forward this a couple seconds, but number nine is suicidal and or self-harming behavior like cutting. So those are the nine criteria that go into a BPD diagnosis. And in order to be diagnosed, you have to have five of those at least. Okay. Then there is something that is called quiet borderline personality disorder. Now, this is not something that is is a recognized subtype in terms of diagnosis. Rather, it's a term that refers to people who meet the criteria for diagnosis of BPD, but they don't fit the typical profile. So because of this, it's not as easily, it's not as easy, easily, it's not as easy to diagnose and it can be misdiagnosed a lot as anxiety or depression, things like that, because you don't exhibit all of those um, behaviors that are typically associated externally. That doesn't mean you don't feel them inside. Internally, you, you generally do. And that's kind of where the quiet BPD um, comes from. So in my case, the reason I feel like I had quiet BP, I have quiet BPD is a lot of times people didn't know I was struggling inside and they may see my mood swings, but they, they weren't as obvious. The thing that was always very obvious with me, uh, is my anger. And it's not that I ever act out on it. I just yell and, you know, I, I get, I just, I would just explode sort of thing. So, um, Typical, now one of the things Very Well Mind says is typical presentation of BPD involves angry outbursts and obvious outward self-destructiveness. So like cutting or if you're um, obvious about um, you know, self-harm. And those with quiet BPD have internalized those emotional episodes. It says they turn their anger inward, which maybe you do. And I have done that, but it's also the thing. Um, so for this reason, that's why quiet BPD tends to go undiagnosed or misdiagnosed. And this can also sometimes be referred to as high functioning BPD. I remember with my first therapist, I, well, my first therapist who I had a a long relationship with because when I was about 17, I did go see a counselor and, um, 
that well, I only saw her a few sessions. I got sick and then we had to cancel one session and we never rescheduled it. Um, so anyway, so he was technically my second, but the first one that I had a longstanding relationship with. And I remember telling him, I felt like I had high functioning anxiety. This was before my BPD diagnosis because I would get very, very anxious and I would get stressed out and I would worry. But I remember at one of my jobs, um, one of my longest jobs that I had as a, as a designer, one of the companies I've been with the longest, I remember one of the admins saying, oh, you don't seem like you get stressed out. And it was kind of funny because I was thinking, oh, I do. But I told her, I said, I just, you know, I, I tend to just put things into perspective. I know it's important, but I don't let it affect me. Part of that was me hiding. Um, part of that was true. But a big part of it, I just internalized it. And I didn't tell people. So that's why I would say I had high-functioning anxiety. Because people didn't know how much I was going through, what was going on in my head. I didn't share it with them. Because I learned very early on that it was not going to be accepted or acknowledged in the, in, or validated in a way that I needed. So I just didn't say anything. So some of these characteristics of um, quiet BPD, there's quite a lot of them. Um, so I'll try and read through them very quickly because I, I try not to make these too long in, in just knowing how crazy life can get. And it may be, you know, hard to, I know you can come back to this and I certainly encourage you to do so, but I try not to have excessively long episodes. So, um, let's see, for example, they say BPD might show outward signs of rage. A person with quiet BPD might turn that rage inward and engage in self-destructive behaviors. Similarly, a person with BPD might have crying fits or throw tantrums while someone with Quiet BPD will become moody and withdrawn. So here is a list of characteristics, most common characteristics of quiet BPD. Having unhealthy boundaries. Do you let people walk all over you? Because I certainly did. And there are times I still do. Um, (laughs) That's a different story for a different day. Becoming obsessed with a specific person and wanting to spend as much time as you can with that person. Self-isolation, self-isolation or avoidance as a form of self-protection when you are feeling overwhelmed. Check. Self-harm that is hidden from others so they don't suspect that something is wrong. Being mean to others in a quiet way, so giving people the silent treatment. And um, I've certainly done that. A feeling of hopelessness all the time. They give an example of existential angst, but I feel like hopelessness all the time just kind of sums it up very well. Inwardly directed hostility, anger, or aggression. So having a harsh internal critic, self-harm, self-gaslighting I would put in here. You know, how hard do you, do you say things to yourself that you would never say to a friend or anybody for that matter? That would be an example of inwardly directed hostility. Having a poor self-image or rapidly changing self-image. 
intense fear of rejection. Oh my gosh, I absolutely had this one. I still have this one. This is one I still struggle with. Um, even putting out this podcast has been, it's, it's been healing, but at the same time, it's also very scary because with that can come negative reviews, right? <laughs> so, um, but that's part of my healing. And, and, and I also want to build a community and let you know that you're not alone. And that this is something that you can absolutely heal from. Um, side note, <laughs> mood swings that can last hours to days, but that appear invisible to outsiders. So do you battle some depression and people don't really realize it or some anxiety? I'm not going to get too much into this because like I said, I'm not a mental health professional. I don't want to, but I can only give you some examples that I've had. A pattern of idealizing others and then devaluing or discarding them. Do you love someone one day and hate them the next because of one little thing that they did? Do you flip-flop like that? Taking small things personally, such as assuming someone is ignoring you. Oh my gosh, <laughs> this is something I absolutely had struggled with. And sometimes I still do. Not being able to read others, so thinking that people are mad at you when they're not. Um, another one is racing or distorted thoughts. Do you ruminate a lot? That would be, I think, kind of fall into that category. A fear of being alone or pushing people away. Self-sabotage that holds you back from reaching your goals. Experiencing a feeling of being triggered that leads to uncomfortable internalized emotions such as shame or guilt. Having a hard time talking about your feelings. It's kind of funny because I think with BPD and as a highly sensitive person, we have all these feelings, but we almost don't acknowledge them and we don't talk about them. We have them, but we ignore them. And that causes things to fester and build up. Um, feeling numb or empty inside, derealization, feeling as though you are living inside a dream. This has happened to me too. Problematic people pleasing that causes problems in the long term. And I will tell you, I work with a coach who, um, has just been fabulous. Her name is Dr. Lee Cordell and she's a trauma informed coach. And I have learned just in the time that I've been working with her so much in terms of trauma. And I had started learning some before that, but people pleasing is actually a trauma response. Now that's something that we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, or you can reach out to me, which if you go to the details of this podcast, there is like a way to get in contact with me, but I was very fascinated to find that out, that people-pleasing is a, a trauma response. Um, let's see, they have two, two more left. So the second, the second to last one is feeling as though it is wrong to have the emotions that you do, which results in trying to suppress them. And then the last one is feeling as though you are in a state of hypervigilance. And hypervigilance, and it's funny, I was when I was kind of um, pulling up information on this, because... I didn't want to do it just off the cuff. I wanted to be able to really share with you and, and um, not forget anything. But I looked up hypervigilance and it's, it's more than just being extra vigilant. 
it is a state of extreme alertness that undermines the quality of life. And it is a hallmark, one of the central features of PTSD. And it can also include and be included, uh, can occur with other anxiety disorders, panic disorder, that sort of thing. But in working with my trauma-informed coach, um, I didn't realize, and it's, it's very fascinating how much of a trauma response, how much we live inside these trauma responses, just people in general. I think we all have them regardless of whether or not you have BPD or you're an HSP or you have been diagnosed with anxiety or depression or, or you haven't been diagnosed with anything. We all have trauma responses. Um, I firmly believe that. We all have some sort of trauma. It's just whether or not we've recognized that we have the trauma and um, whether or not we want to do something about it. But, and for me, this was very different. When I first started working with my therapist, who was a DBT therapist, this was my third therapist that I worked with after my second therapist had retired. There was a path in... um, healing from BPD. And I think it was broken out into six stages. I don't remember off the top of my head, but the fourth stage was dealing with the trauma. And I remember when she said that and I thought, I don't have any trauma. Or if I do, it's like not that big of a deal. Right. Even though I also kind of felt like I had complex PTSD, which is all of these little micro traumas, complex PTSD is not something that is recognized as a diagnosis in the DSM. But I think among the mental health community is it is still recognized to a certain extent. So there is, Lee likes to say big T trauma, which is like one, this is like war veterans, right? This is like an incident you can specifically attribute what has happened, why you respond to things in the way you do this because of this incident. And then there's little T traumas, which is a bunch of repeated or micro traumas that happen on and on. And so you may not have noticed it. Now, for me, one of my micro traumas was I was horrendously bullied from grades one through four. I don't remember much of that time period at all in my life. I do remember that I was horribly bullied. And after that, I even was still bullied all the way up until grade eight. It just wasn't as frequent or as severe, or I managed, I learned how to manage. I I don't know, to be honest, because I don't remember grades one through three. Um, I think I have one memory from each grade throughout that time in my life, but that's neither here nor there. My point is that BPD is very much linked to post-traumatic stress or complex post-traumatic stress. So the reason that I share this is because something to understand is that we wonder why we do these things. And it's because of all the stuff that has affected us in, in our lives. And if you remember at the beginning, I said that, you know, when we know better, we can do better. And we, and the secret to healing is understanding. I believe you have to first understand why you do what it is you do in order to then figure out ways to manage, cope, and heal from it, and then do better. And something to know about the brain is, this I find very fascinating too, 
your brain is split between 95% and 5% in what it processes consciously and subconsciously. However, the part that is the 5% of processing conscious processing is the conscious brain. That means that 95% of your actions and your body functions, so this includes things like breathing, but 95% of what you do, how you think, feel sort of thing on a daily basis is subconscious. You are not in control of that. You are only in control of 5% on a conscious level. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't change things. What that what I'm trying to tell you with this is if you quickly respond to something and you don't know why in the world you responded that way, like it's because of that subconscious level because these are so deep rooted into who you are and ways that you have learned to cope and to manage in your life that you don't think about it. So when it's, that's why there's so much inner work that has to be done, but it's absolutely a good thing. And I will say that I was diagnosed about three years ago and that's when my inner work really started and it started slowly. And now I feel like I've so far progressed and I can, but I continue to do it, right? I continue to work on myself. I think it's just so, so important. But all of that is to say that if you have tried things and they haven't worked, don't give up. Okay. There are, it it is a process and there are certain ways to work through it. Things that you need to tackle and things that can help that you may not be aware of and you haven't done yet, but you, you have to focus, you have to work on that subconscious piece and that takes time. I mean, it is very much like an onion where you have to keep peeling back and peeling back. I know that's an overused metaphor, but it's very true. So on that note, if it's something that you do want to work on and you want to work on together, please in the description or in the, in the um, notes of this podcast, feel free to reach out to me. You can um, apply to, um, or rather I should say you can schedule a discovery call with me where we can go through and talk about ways that we can work together so that I can help you on that journey because I've been through it. And I'm telling you, there is so much light at the end of the tunnel. You just got to hang in there. Okay. So that's what I wanted to share with you today. I know this is getting a little long. Um, So the last thing I wanted to share with you is I am looking for members to be a part of my pod squad. And it's very simple what you have to do to be a part of the pod squad. The goal is to just help share the episodes and get the information of this podcast out there so that I can help other people so that they don't feel so alone, so that they hopefully can have a better understanding of themselves and really start that healing process if they haven't already, or help to further that healing process. So that is the goal of the pod squad to just share the episodes. Okay. And as a reward for that, I have several prizes that you can earn. 
Uh, the first one is I will give you access to my stress management course, which is called Decoded the Calm and Joyful Life. It is an audio course broken out into three to seven minute audio bits. So that way it is very easily consumable so that you can implement and take the parts and figure out what works for you. The second prize is um, a free group coaching call. It's the Embrace the Beauty of You group coaching call that you can earn. And then the third is a private one-to-one Create Your Thriving Life coaching call. So you and I would work together in a private session. If you would like to be a part of the pod squad, again, there is a link within the description of this podcast. Click on that, simply sign up so that you get on the list. And then I will be sending out more details of how you earn, you know, um, how you reach the various levels within the price um, categories and kind of the time frame around that and that sort of thing. I really wanted to, I'm, I'm presenting it to you first because I want you to have an opportunity to be able to get some of these, these prizes, if not all of them. Um, it is tiered. So that means that essentially if you earn the private one-to-one, you earn the other three or the other two, sorry. So if you want more details, if you want to join the pod squad, please click the link within the description that says join the pod squad and sign up. And then I will send out more information to you. That is it for today. Thank you for listening. I hope this has been helpful for you. So much love and gratitude to you. Have a great, great week. And until next time, I'll chat with you later. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed the podcast and would like one-to-one support, sign up for a free discovery call through the link in the show notes.